The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. This is another monopod. Uh, I hope that's all right. Uh, that's two, two in quick succession. Um, it wasn't meant to be that way. Uh, and I'll, I'll sort of explain why in a vaguely circuitous way. But broadly speaking, I wanted this to be uh, a sort of an, an election relevant podcast and that's what it's going to be about on some level, but um, it's not the way I had hoped it would go. It's not it's not a great controversy or anything, but I, I do think the sort of circumstances around it are kind of interesting. So I'll talk a bit about why it's just me and then about why I think that's a bit of a problem. Um, so anyway, earlier this week I watched a media debate on Zoom. Uh, it was staged by Better Public Media, which is – a local, I guess it's kind of a lobby or advocacy group that was set up in the aftermath of older listeners will remember uh, the the great TVNZ Seven Wars. This was a, a channel, a digital channel that was set up uh, under Helen Clark's Labor government that to do the kind of more public broadcasting oriented work that was was hard to place and fund under uh, the. Uh, you know, in the commercial realms of TVNZ1 and 2. Um, and it had that kind of less popular but more sort of public-spirited content, um, shows about, you know, arts and culture and the media and that kind of thing that just don't naturally fit on commercial uh, TV channels. All well and good. National come in and did as National tends to do and uh, sort of, you know, basically told TVNZ that they didn't have to do it and TVNZ said, right, we're, we're not going to do it. Um, so Better Public Media, that, that's what it came out of and it's become a, an organisation that just that, that advocates to, to politicians to just have a lot more and uh, a lot more public media created in this country. They make some really good points. You know, we, we do have on a per capita basis a lot less um, public media made than other countries you know here, here our public media is basically RNZ uh, and to a certain extent um, parts of what happens on uh, the more you know commercially funded TVNZ and uh, you know in, in some ways for Katamari too but we we basically operate a decentralized version of it which 
and and just fundamentally the budgets are lower. Um, and you know, regular listeners to this podcast will know I think our system is is pretty innovative. It, it's pretty good, but it is undeniably much much less uh, funded than other similar countries uh, typically do. Um, the thing about better public media is that they, you know, they do have a position. The opening speech by Miles Thomas on on Monday night had a pretty strong, um, yeah, had a, contained a lot of strong statements. It, uh, it des- described commercial media as a disaster for democracy and said that it had essentially like a, a pro right wing bias sort of baked into it. Things that both commercial media and the National Party w- would sort of disagree with, um, and uh, that—that's if, if that's your thesis, then you can't necessarily be surprised when, when you put on a debate, that not everyone shows up to the debate. They might not feel like they necessarily get a fair hearing, and that's the way it proved. So, the debate was attended by Jenny Markroff from New Zealand First, who was was pretty good. Um, from and by Ricardo Menendez March and Willie Jackson from the Greens and Labour respectively, who had their moments, but broadly it was let down by the fact that there weren't a lot of people. So they they, they largely agreed with one another, and there wasn't a sort of a perspective from uh, either National Act or the two parties likely to be the biggest part of the next government or to Party Māori. What I found frustrating about that was that I think the media is actually a uh, – I think the media is actually in a pretty dangerously poised state and and has been for sort of 15-odd years, but there have been moments of sort of stability, but we're going through a bit of a realignment at the moment. And, you know, some of this I'll have touched on relatively frequently, but I think maybe bottling it up into one sort of thesis is, is potentially worthwhile – um, but before I get into that, I just want to sort of talk about what I had intended to do. So after watching that debate, I wrote a piece about it, expressing dissatisfaction with the sort of quality of the debate and the, the narrowness of it. Um, and Toby uh, Manhire, host of Gone by Lunchtime, former editor of the spinoff, current editor at large, the spinoff, uh, brilliant writer in mind, suggested something that I should have thought of a long time ago, to be fair, which was to get... Melissa Lee, uh, Nationals Broadcasting Spokesperson, and Willie Jackson onto the fold and, and have a more substantial or, or at least more have it with a bit more kind of uh, product differentiation debate on some of the issues that I think are impacting media. Um, I basically took it as read that I could get Willie involved um, you know, he and I have had our disagreements over the, you know since he's been broadcasting minister. One thing I absolutely cannot fault him for is his availability. He's he's even when he has kind of pugilistic encounters with journalists, that his his background in media and I think his general disposition is to sort of just sort of show up and and have a, a robust conversation. So. So I first went to Melissa Lee. She was the one who didn't come to the Better Public Media debate. Um, I w- I've had probably just as much contact with Melissa as as with Willie over the last few years. We've, we've caught up for coffee. We've had long um, phone conversations. Um, if ever I see her, we'll, we'll have a chat. So there's you know very perfectly 
cordial relations on on all sides. But and all she did was not reply to a text, you know. So like, let's not kind of over egg this thing. Um, it might just be that there's any one of any number of reasons why why that might not have happened, and it might she might have been able to just not able to make it happen because her schedules mapped out well in advance because there's a freaking election campaign on. So I'm not particularly mad at it, but it seems to me that it, both the the debate itself, the level of interest and the the sort of inability for, for me to get any kind of engagement there is a little bit of a cipher for where media broadcasting, et cetera, is in the this election campaign and just in the the political mind at the moment. Yeah, there's, it's always very hard. Just take it as a given that it's hard for media to cover media. You're obviously talking about yourself. You're talking about your own, you know, your own book, and that's always an awkward um, dance to make. The thing I try and do with this podcast is to talk about media in a very broad sense and. You know, any kind of way that there is a, uh, a kind of a mass communication um, medium uh, across a whole realm of things. And and I think if you take that, you know, so that includes everything from TikTok to video games to newspapers to streaming TV uh, to all of the social media platforms and, and private messaging ones too. And I think if you have that kind of perspective, then you get a sense of the scale and the impact of the of the industry. And and it's the scale and impact of the industry that functionally is, is why the locally domiciled, professionally made content part of it, what we would have traditionally understood as the media, is in, in such a state. And so, you know... What I what I um, so I want to just talk a little bit about why that is and why I think that the yeah you know, the political environment the the absence of any kind of uh, interest in it from like a prominent politician there isn't anyone I can think of I hope I'm wrong who has a a big joined up thesis around us the way that you see some politicians in the US and the UK. Um, and, and in a number of other countries uh, doing. Before I get into that, I just want to quickly acknowledge that under the, this term of the Labour, the Labour government, we've seen the Public Interest Journalism Fund and we have seen, you know, during the COVID era, a lot of, uh, you know, suspension of cordia fees and, and a lot of facility to kind of give temporary relief to particularly the, the major local media companies. There was a a lot of spending went on through the COVID campaign, some of which felt like it was a sort of backdoor way of supporting the major media companies, um, and you know the uh, and also the uh, the news bargaining code, which is currently before select committee and may or may not survive a change of government. But at the very least, it's a serious legislative attempt to solve for at least the news. Um, part of the problems, some of the problems confronting here. So it's not like nothing's been done at all. But in some part, because there were issues with parts of that, I think there's been a level of maybe a kind of exhaustion with the, the media is always talking about what trouble the media is in. And, you know, that's that's very fair. Like all industries are challenged or, or a lot of industries are challenged and, and change tends to kind of have impacts on some 
businesses that are negative and others that are positive. And generally, well, that's that's how markets work. The reason why I think you have to consider media as a bit of a special case is the same reason that we've got a ministry for it. When, you know, even though it's a relatively small industry, like the the news media narrowly is called the fourth estate. You know, it's it's considered um, a vital part of a functioning democracy to have a scale pluralistic media news media that covers. Uh, the government in a, in a very broad sense to make sure that everything, you know, is, is sort of a natural tension on it. And so when it shrinks and withers away, which has been happening, you know, we employ far less journalists um, than we did uh, 10 or 15 years ago. That's naturally, a, you know, should be seen, can be seen certainly as a, you know, a, is democracy becoming a bit more fragile, a precondition for some something kind of gnarly to happen there? Um, but again, speaking to that sort of expansive definition of media, when you have, uh, you know, if you think about the kind of all of the cultural elements that knit your society together that come through, that historically came through radio, television, magazines, now that all of those things are a challenge and, and in the process of moving digitally become a lot less accessed by local audiences, you can see that there is just there is obviously a a sort of a big fundamental shift that's happening that deserves and requires a level of thinking from government if they want to sort of if they if they believe that the the arguments that led to the setup of New Zealand on air or or having ministries for culture and heritage, um, you know, for, for the government owning TVNZ. If all of these things, you know, mattered historically, surely they matter still. Um, and the reason why media is so challenged, and I think in actually a, a more perilous state than we like to admit, and again, another tension, commercial media is the most challenged, it also has the least incentive to publicly admit that because its whole business is selling advertising and when you're selling advertising, you don't want to be saying, hey, well, you know, we're in a bit of a state right now. You want to be saying, God, things are going great and our audience is bigger than ever. So you just have to kind of live with that tension um, that exists and, and is peculiarly sensitive within within this industry. So the big shift, along with going digital and audiences atomizing and algorithms serving up a, a kind of bespoke media diet to every single person on earth, there, there's been a big shift behind that, which is a move from advertising that was kind of video or display based and very mass market to what's called performance marketing, whereby a business organization pays on the basis that a business objective happens as a result of their advertisement. And the most the canonical example of that is Google search advertising, but now you see it everywhere. Like advertise, uh, Amazon is a $30 billion search business. DoorDash is a $750 million ad business. You know, Facebook and YouTube uh, are performance marketing businesses. Basically all of the digital tech giants – for the most part, have huge advertising businesses which are driven by matching their huge data sets uh, to uh, have, having consumer intention uh, matched to a, a business objective. 
so the the previous form of advertising um, has just kind of become a less and less uh, important part of business strategy. Now, I think there's a mistake there, to be honest. The performance marketing to me should more correctly be conceived of as digital rent. Like that's that's the sort of cost of setting up shop. And I still think there is a, a place for brand and for understanding those things differently. But for the moment, where we are now, those are considered the same budget and whereby someone can see this thing produce this result and this thing has a more a less inherently testable thing. There's just a, a gravity towards the data that, that has existed there. And what that means is that all of the companies which produce local culture from TVNZ to Warner Brothers Discovery with their three brand uh, to you know to organizations like ours to, to NZME to stuff they're all as well as having you know for the most part their traditional linear television or newspaper kind of revenue stream sort of whittled away as audiences migrate to digital there's also this kind of move away from the kind of products they sell to the kind of products that technology companies sell. And the government is a big part of that. Like, remember, they're a massive, you know, nine-figure client of uh, the likes of Google um, and Meta as well. So, and this is setting aside another huge piece of the puzzle, which is that, you know, as, as we alluded to with where the audience is a few weeks ago, Younger audiences in particular, um, but also all audiences, having been trained to get their uh, information, their entertainment through social media apps, through user-generated content apps, that is just it takes an ever-increasing share of audience. But there, with a few relatively narrow exceptions, there's uh, no, almost no monetization option for news producers on those platforms. The people who make money out of those platforms are mostly the platforms themselves and certainly not enough money to justify heavy investment in creating news and entertainment content specifically for those platforms. So you have this twofold problem of an erosion of revenues towards the creation of original content, whether that's news or entertainment that is specifically of and about this country and you have a distribution problem that that um, means that audiences are increasingly likely to see content and consume content and news and whatever you like from all over the world rather than here. And that that's basically like a, a sort of a top line of the, the, the challenges facing the local media market. Now, these aren't like turn off the lights tomorrow problems, I don't think. And there are plenty of really good news stories about it. Um, you know, coming out of this sector, there are amazing kind of content creators out of New Zealand that have got global audiences. There are New Zealand ad agencies that are creating campaigns for tech giants around the world that are, you know, because of the quality of their work. Like I'm not a sort of a doomer on the this, this environment. I, wouldn't have started the spin-off if I thought it was, um, you know, if there was no hope out there. But, but I think that this the stuff matters. Like we we are quite fortunate. Like this election is gnarly as it's been at times. Certainly, it's much less so than the political environment, the the general kind of socio political environment that you have um, in the UK. We didn't have 
riots in in the streets uh, the the way they did in France over their summer. You know the the absolute chaos in the U.S. where you know Steve Bannon has Matt Gates on on his kind of weird podcast, and then he's bouncing the the speaker from from the House of Representatives for having the temerity to avert a government shutdown. Like it's really really crazy out there, and I personally believe that is because of the chaotic media environment. And I'm not saying this is a simple solve or that you just the only answer is to shut it down or regulate the hell out of it. But government is supposed to look at these things and think deeply about them and try and design solutions that kind of get us to a, a better place. And I think media is just like housing is a platform that impacts health and education in really profound ways. Media is a platform which influences what is politically possible, uh, you know, what what our sort of social and uh, in, environment and the way that we relate to one another. It's it's pretty important stuff, I think. And you know, setting aside my own and and that, you know the spin-off zone and even the whole of the media's interest in the media just perpetuating itself, not growing astronomically, but just being able to kind of operate in a sort of functional ongoing capacity, it would just be really nice if there was, if there were people in senior levels of politics who were sort of thinking about this because it really does impact their their jobs too, I think. And that's what this sort of comes down to is like, you know, if you want to be able to basically advance a more kind of pure and sophisticated version of any of your platform so that you can help this country become, you know, fix what ails it and become what you believe it can be. Having a sort of a, a functioning media that doesn't have its hair on fire uh, at all times is probably a good thing. So it would have been cool to have this conversation with William Melissa. I'm truly not blaming um, Melissa for that, you know, like I sent a text, like genuinely. But um, but it would have been great to, to know what they think and to sort of have a – conversation of this nature maybe it'll happen if in the aftermath of the election um you know there there are there are certainly like like i said jenny markroft who i also spoke to in the aftermath of the, the debate um she was working at today fm when i think when it went down so she knows how challenged the media is in a very kind of first-hand way um so it's not like there's no one you know thinking hard about this and there certainly are people in other parts of government at the likes of the Ministry of Culture and Heritage uh, and, you know, the Broadcasting Standards Authority, New Zealand On Air and so on. Not a doomer, I swear, but I do think it just deserves more attention than it's getting and uh, it would have been would have been nice to, to have the chat ahead of the election. Um, anyway, that's that's my, uh, my big thesis. Sorry that it was another monopod, but... Um, I will be back next week with uh, with someone else. I'm, I'm really confident and hopeful about that. Uh, I want to thank O Media for making this podcast possible. I'm so so grateful for that, um, and also to Samuel who uh, let me. You know, another reason why this happened, if I'm honest, is because I got really really deep in a feature on New Zealand First, Shane Jones, which it will be. It is actually up on the spinoff now, and it kind of sucked all of my energy and my attention. Samuel was very gracious and just letting me do that and and then letting me 
do this. So I uh, appreciate you, Samuel. Uh, yeah, so thank you for listening to The Fold. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kia ora e te iwi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.